and uh, let's pray and talk about um, sin and punishment. How fun is that? <laughs> and grace. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the time that we share together. Thank you that each week we get to open your word as a community and as a body and also individually, Lord. We know that our souls are fed by the reading, hearing, and receiving of your word. So we ask that you would guide us as we go through this today. Holy Spirit of God, just infuse in me um, wisdom and discernment as I teach these two passages. And may you be glorified in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so today um, is, first. the first part is Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and it's the last part of the prehistory. And again, prehistory is that you've taken a thousand years, you've consolidated at least a thousand years, if not more, uh, of the generations alone, or probably a thousand years. You've all consolidated it down, trying to make sense for Israel of how they came into being. And so if we remember that, um, then we will do, I'm sorry, my microphone's heavier than my belt, <laughs> so I feel like I'm going like this. Oh, too much information. Okay, so um, it's the last of the prehistory. It's putting things together. Um, it's broad, broad perspective on what humanity is doing and how God is reacting with that. And so we're going to first look at that and... Um, and it begins with God is never going to destroy the whole earth again by, uh, by a flood or, or really the God's desire is to make a new earth, a new creation, have a new people, have that obedience. It is done in the midst of knowing that people are going to choose evil over good, oftentimes, more often than not. And so God has just resolved himself to say, I'm going to keep calling you to be my people and to be about um, worshiping God but knowing that we will fall short of the glory of God, and, um, and yet he's still there for this. The second part of the story is the uh, call of Abraham and the beginning of the people of Israel, and that's where history breaks in. We can track Abraham, and we know what's really going on. And for Israel, knowing their roots, we see Abraham in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. He's a key person. He's key for us. And I love... Uh, verses 12, 1 through 3, they're my absolute favorites, and it's because of what God is doing. And uh, so we're going to look at both 11, 1 through 9, and 12, 1 through 9. And we'll actually get to read scripture today because we're not trying to do 150 verses in one sitting. All right, so here we go. All right, so we're going to begin with the Tower of Babel. And um, let's just look at the first four verses, shall we? Chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Okay, so that's the situation. They are, what are they supposed to do? What did God tell them to do in Genesis 1, 28? Multiply and spread out. 
So they're on their way, and all of a sudden they go, well, I don't know, this kind of, you know, this is like Santa Barbara, who wants to leave here? <laughs> so <laughs> I grew up there, so I can say that. So let's go ahead and, and just build a city here. Now, the sin is not the city. And I just want to know it because lots of people go, oh, well, sin city, any city is so corrupted. If we just, you know, spread out more, we'd be okay. That's not really the point. The point is that they didn't want to spread out anymore. And in fact, they thought, let's just build a tower a tower that shows how powerful, how great we are. And in doing that, you know, because we can communicate, we're just going to be this homogeneous group with lots of influence and power. We will have a name for ourselves. And so that's kind of the beginning. So it's the disobedience begins, the one language refers to the beginning of the story is meant as a sign of all human language, which seeks to be self-sufficient, okay? So the symbol of we have our language, the way we talk, and that gives us power, and that makes us self-sufficient. It's all about self-sufficiency, uh, which is, in fact, our fallen nature. Everybody thought, I can go ahead and, and be disobedient and be okay. I'll still be in control. And um, it's the language of disobedience, okay? So there is power in the unity of the work for their own desires, because let's make a name not for God, not for the one who created us or sent us out. Let's make a name for ourselves, and that empowers us. Um, the people do not want to spread out, but they want to stay in one place. And I get that. Um, I refer to Santa Barbara. I grew up in Santa Barbara. I met Rick in graduate school. He came from New Jersey, but when he graduated from school, he was in the Navy, and they sent him to San Diego, and from there he went off to Vietnam. I missed, I just am on the cusp of kind of missing Vietnam, and so we have very different worldviews in that perspective. But when he came to San Diego from, you know, New Jersey, <laughs> he goes, this is it, it's where I'm staying. Well, so when I met him and he talked about, you know, I'd really like to settle in San Diego, I thought, well, what about Santa Barbara? You know, it's got those mountains down to the coast. It's so much prettier. So I thought I was in purgatory having to come to San Diego. I've recovered, by the way. <laughs> but you know how you get set in one place? This is your place. I'm comfortable here. Most of us just seek comfort. Somebody just said change. Change is hard. Change is loss. They didn't want that. They wanted that control. So you have that unity that people do not want to spread out, but they want to stay in their one place. This goes directly against God's command to spread out, to fill the earth, to be all over, all over. God thought that was a good thing. Multiply, take, subdue the earth in a way that is healthy and good, that has people everywhere. This is my plan for you. And so that is the disobedience that they're not doing what God had asked and desired from the get-go. Go out and multiply and be bigger. And um, it's mentioned in 128 and also in 1018 when they're doing the Noah and the genealogy where people were to spread out. And scattered is a word, but it doesn't mean like loosey-goosey. It's, it's the unity of being together. Now, if any of you come from business backgrounds and they... Um, are, they're moving you. Like my brother-in-law was great in business and he worked for companies that moved him. They lived, in the time we lived in our one house before he retired, nine different places. And you realize that as long as you're with your family, you meet new friends, 
but there's a unity in that. They were all going together wherever they were going. So the scatter does not refer to being alone or isolated at all. It just means that you're multiplying and that you're growing and that you're subduing the earth, taking it in a good way, taking it over. Um, but their desire to be a homogeneous group, to have that unity, the name for themselves, becomes kind of a fortress mentality. If you look back at this, um, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower to make us a name for ourselves. Otherwise, you know, we, we won't have this identity. Realizing our identity comes in Christ. Our identity comes in God and in knowing who we are in God. And so there was, you know, they were afraid. And so they said, we're going to hunker down and build this. And and they were well equipped to do that because obviously they're doing something big. Now let's look at the second half. Verse 5. I'm going to ask, um, only be, if you would ask them yeah, to um, use stage language, that would help. Thank you. I don't know if you can get in there. Um, verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So God's intention is not going to be changed. Now what we all think about, and here's where we're changing it, is that they sin and then there's a judgment. So I kind of made a joke about that, but there are really three things going on here. And the third is the most important. Yes, they were disobedient. Uh, to be uh, disobedient is to go against God's will, to miss the mark, that is called sin. And God's judgment is that we're just going to confuse these folks so that they can't communicate anymore. And if they can't communicate, then um, they can't build. So there's a punishment, and I'm going to make them go out upon the whole earth. But the third part is still the unity of God's call. Because what was God's desire? That they would multiply and that they would spread out. And God sees that as a good thing. So there's a redemptive peace in this. As we look at this, the unity God wants humankind to rely on his life-giving power because his life-giving power is one that is full of good and full of the things that, um, that they would appreciate. The good growth of the earth is what God had intended for humanity, and he doesn't want that changed. The unity with diversity of the lands and the people would remain due to the unity that they have in God, okay? So look, I mean, missions, we travel all over the place, and when we do that, we see a lot of diversity. But the unity we have is in God. And you see that time and time again. I went down to, just we just went down to Oaxaca. We're missing a couple folks today because they're over at Interfaith, and Interfaith is showing them their new facility which takes people who have been hospitalized but are normally homeless and they need a transitional place. And there's no place, so a lot of these people get sick. They're not, you know how when you get out of hospital, you're not well yet, I've got news for you. It's like, okay, insurance is up, you're done. You're like out 
or Medicare or Medi-Cal or whatever it is, you're gone, and there's no transitional place. So they've opened up this transitional place. They're ministering to the poor and the sick. It's just wonderful. So a group of folks are over there looking at that today. But um, we just went down to Oaxaca. I don't speak Spanish yet, quite the way I should. And um, we have a few who do, but we had a translator. But we didn't always have to translate because we had the commonality of faith in our God. And, and the evidence of Jesus in the life of the people was perfect. It was palatable. It, it was that unity that we have. So God's wanting that unity. He said, be, lean on me because I have life-giving growth and power for you. And so that's his desire. And um, God's response is one both of judgment and, and continued desire for unity. So God sees a resistance to obey the covenant to spread out on the face of the earth. His response is one of punishment for their disobedience. You're not going to be able to communicate. Um, their disobedience for a self-serving act. Remember last week when we looked at, at some of the um, genealogy and we saw that the difference, especially um, in um, people of power, it was very self-serving. It was all about them. The Canaanites are known for that. It's all about them. And here you have, that's not why I've created you, to be uh, self-consumed. Because when you become self-sufficient, you really are pretty self-consumed. You kind of are, here's, here I am and, and here's what I'm doing. So God did not want that. And then um, the self-made unity excludes the will of God. When you have decided that this is our group and nobody else is in it, you've excluded God. Now, here's my one story. Any of you ever go to vacation Bible school growing up? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, here we go. So, I mean, I th when, when I was first working um, my summers, because we had three relatively young children, was working as an ordained pastor, I should say, worked at other areas before that. Um, but... Even in Christian education as a director, I would take our kids to several vacation Bible schools during the summer. It was Christ-centered people, lovers of Jesus, lovers of children, very creative and very fun. And the price was right because it was normally really inexpensive. So anyway, we would do this. And of course, I would go in and I'd be taking notes on the songs and everything else to use it wherever I was. But as a child, I went to a vacation Bible school one year, I remember very, very clearly. It was a very small church. And I couldn't go the first day for whatever reason. I got there the second day. And in my little tiny third grade class, there were just two girls. And this is what they said to me. Two is company. Three is a crowd. Now, I told my older sister, who was, uh, she's no longer taller than I am, but she was at the time. And, um, and they didn't say that to me any of the other days after that. But it was too late, wasn't it? So that's kind of what they're saying. Oh, God, we've got it. You're coming in. It's kind of a crowd for us. That's not what we want. And God sees that, and he goes, the unity that I have for you, the desire that I have for you, which is good, I'm not changing that. So even though you're being punished with the language, the gift is that you're still going to grow, you're still going to be spread out. 
you're still going to be sent out into the world. And so um, God's desire, and I'm, I'm pulling from Brueggemann here in his commentary on Genesis. I want to give him credit. But he uses these wonderful words that we would say, to be in relationship with God is to be, and it's in your, your little outline here, um, is to... Uh, is to experience the joy, the freedom, the grace, the worship, and the caring as a community and in unity with God. That's what God is giving, not a, not a sense of a power to be self-sufficient, but a unity that is in, inclusive of other people. And um, the one-dimensional humanity that I am in control and I am in power is limiting. And they didn't get that. So God just kind of helps them. Now, here's the thing. The language of God, and I just want to talk about that a little bit. Language communicates unity, building, and power. Uh, when you can communicate, it can be life-giving or life-taking. There's nothing worse than being in an airplane and somebody um, who doesn't speak English um, is trying to listen to, or English is their third or fourth language, um, is trying to give them instructions that if they are sitting in the exit row, they have to be able to help out. And the only thing worse than that is somebody who thinks they can speak the language of the other person and is trying to speak it to them, but not well. And so the people are thinking, where do I get the food? Uh, my seat is dangerous. My, you know, all these kinds of things because you're not translating it well. And so it's kind of the same thing. When you're trying to communicate, you don't speak the language. And here, the language of God is the language of love. They didn't get that. They didn't get that unity. Um, it can be, um, language can be, the language of God, life-giving or life-taking away. Where in James 3, and here we look at some of the New Testament scriptures, um, with your mouth, with your words, you either bless somebody or you curse them. Language is extremely powerful, like those little girls who said to me, two's company and three's a crowd. I'm like, wow, thank you. Welcome to the church. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus' language to the people was life-giving, liberating. I come to give you life and life abundant. Except some of the people didn't see it that way. Who were those people that were not really excited? When Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Hey, young ruler, you've got the golden rule down pat. But you had to ask the question, what else should I do? And what was Jesus' response? Sell all those things that keep you captive and follow me. Jesus came and offered life and life abundant, which was embraced by the poorest of the poor, the insignificant. But those in power began to find a way to get rid of them. And you see that through and through scripture. Because Christ wants us to trust him to have the life that he has in store for us. We see that. Now the word uh, very important here, the word that is used in Hebrew is shema, which means both to understand, um, but it can also mean to listen. And here's the bridge that I want to put in here. The bridge, if we looked at um, the people did not listen to God, 
and in fact found his will as something to fear and resist. Remember, we don't want to go any further. We want to stay right here. So they're afraid of God's language to do that. The Old Testament reference to not listening is used frequently. <clears throat> Excuse me. In um, the story of Joseph with his brothers, there is a, this is later in Genesis, and they did not listen. They could not, they did not listen to their brother. They did not recognize, they did not hear. And um, in Jeremiah, there's a huge indictment. He just goes on and on and on. I love Jeremiah. <laughs> Number one, he gets angry at God, but he keeps doing what God calls him to do. That's a person who has faith. It's like the God Almighty, I am not happy with you. But okay, I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> I love that. But he also said to the people, he just keeps indicting them. You're not listening. You're not listening. God has told you this, and you're not listening. None of us ever do that, but that was, you know, the people of Israel did that. Okay, right. Okay, Genesis 11, 1 through 9 is connecting us with Acts 2. <clears throat> and what happens? The speaking in tongues. They said, everyone heard in their own language the mighty work of God. And I have references there. We're not going to turn there right now. But do it in your small group. Look at Acts 2, 6, 8, 11, 14, and 37. They heard in their own language. They heard the word of God in their own language. So you almost wonder if the language that was changed was the language of God, and they were not listening to that. So there was confusion. But we do know that in Acts, all the languages of the world now heard again the good news, that unity that God is calling them to in Christ. Christ has come to bring this to you. So they heard all that. So that to me, that connection is so important that the language was diverse, but their unity comes from obedience to God with whom they have fellowship. And I go back again to our mission trips or even go to a different church. Go, and it's really cute because, you know, People love to church shop every once in a while. Kind of like family. Can I get a new family? Because this one's way too hard. Except for the dogs. I'll keep the dogs. But the rest of you are just way too hard for me. Um, and you kind of shop around and then you realize, wow, it's kind of a good place where I am. But you go and you think, okay, I love the sermon there. I got this. I didn't get this. But there's something about, oh, oh, they're opening the word of God. This is familiar. This is the unity I have. And we've saying a little different or something else. But that's what we have. Okay. That's the first part. That is Babel. How does it connect with the disobedience and not wanting to do? Here's a juxtaposition in Abraham in 12. So you see at the ending in the Babel, the tower, the disobedience, God's saying, here's your punishment, but here's your gift, that the unity I called you to will still remain. And in Acts 2, we see that Holy Spirit poured out the speaking in tongues, and they heard, they heard the good news and their own language. That's awesome. Okay, that's when you walk out of service. You all don't know this, but we preach a sermon, and um, and we're. It, it doesn't matter what the topic is. Right now, the topic is is on the rock, and somebody comes out and says that that just spoke to me so clearly because I spent so much time in the water, and you what you said to me really 
really makes me feel like I, uh, that God helps me float on the water. And you're thinking, I'm talking about a rock here. What's going on? That's a Holy Spirit moment. Because what they heard was God speaking to them in a different way. And so, but the way is always the one that brings us into fellowship with God. All right, turn your paper over and let's look at um, Abraham, who's called Abram at the time, but we're just going to keep with Abraham. His name gets changed in a little bit, but here we go. God who created and calls the world into being is now in a new creation with a new people, Israel. Now remember last week I said Israel is really insignificant. They're not even on the map. There's nothing, you know, there's all these other um, peoples and they're all settling in these different areas and you don't really hear to the very, very end with um, the uh, Terah, who is Abraham's father. You finally hear about Abraham, but before that, and it doesn't, it, Israel's not in there, before that, it's just this wide open book, but all of a sudden it's going to get narrowed in the beginning of history in chapter 12 of Genesis. And it's going to begin with Abraham. It's the beginning of history, human history through Israel. And again, all the chapters before that were to let Israel know the God who creates everything is your God, the God. And the forming of Israel through Abraham and Sarah is the forming of the new creation, the God's covenant with a particular people. Um, humankind in the first 11 chapters is full of mistrust, disobedience, resistance to God, in contrast to the exception of Noah, in contrast to the response and willingness of Sarah and Abraham towards God's call. And so there's just this huge big shift. So let's just look at the first um, few verses. I want to start with chapter 11, though, verse 30, just as a reminder. Let me back up maybe to 20. Um, not quite 27. So Terah had these sons. One of them is Abraham. And Abram and Nahar, his other son, took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sari and or Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkar. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Reminder again, your whole identity for a woman at that time was to reproduce, to have children, to have heirs. That was the blessing of God. So if you didn't, you were either being punished or you were being cursed. Okay, so you know, if you're going to build a whole nation, I probably wouldn't start with a barren woman. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'd go, okay, where is that very fertile woman walking around who's, you know, always, always with child? Uh, but he begins this way. So here's the lineage. Sarah is barren. Again, it's culturally would be out of punishment or a curse. But barrenness is also a metaphor for hopelessness. You can't have children. There's no hope. Your family's as good as gone. No hope. Uh, at uh, Stephen Ministry the other day, uh, one of the uh, students said, we were talking about how you minister to people who have lost someone. And we have a culture that um, you can grieve for so long and then you're, you're supposed to move on, which is the goofiest thing in the whole world. Um, and so when everyone asks, well, are you over this? You go, no. <laughs> 
I'm never going to get over this. But the other thing that few people ask about that's so important is tell me about your wife that you lost or tell me, tell me about your husband. What was it about, you know, Larry that you loved? Tell me about him. And in the movie Coco, and it's about Dia de los Muertos, that it's, you know, it's a cartoon. Don't go too far with this. But one of the great cultures of um, Mexico, South America, Latin America countries is that they celebrate the Day of the Dead by remembering, doggone it, by remembering the people. And in this movie, the people who are not remembered um, are no more. They're not even in the dead. They're just totally forgotten. And the importance of remembering that. And so the hopelessness is that there's, there's no one to carry on your story. There's no one to talk to you about this. There's no one that tells you that story. So there's a hopelessness. That's how we're going to begin this 12th chapter. So let's look at the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. How different is that from, okay, we're hunkered down here in this nice, you know, valley and and we're going to build our tower here and stay. No, go. Leave them all. Go. <laughs> I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you. I will curse. And in all the families of the earth and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God speaks over the barrenness. He doesn't care what position Abram or Sarai are in right now. This is God's work. They didn't earn it. They didn't manipulate it. They didn't just arrive at the right time. This is all God's doing. When you think about God in your life, God pursues you first. You're just not that clever. Sorry. <laughs> None of us are. God pursues us. He makes himself known to us. He may use a lot of different people to do that. But even in nature, when you think, oh my gosh, there must be a creator, that is a God moment. God is the one who initiates. God is the one, and all the language used here is imperative. Five times God says, I, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but out of you, this will happen. So go. He doesn't say, well, what do you think? How's your schedule today? Do you think you can fit this in for the next, you know, 100 years of your, or 70 years of your life or whatever? Yeah. Will this work for you? I think it was 40, but will this work for you? No, God just said, go. Collect what you have and go because what I have for you is a promise that I am making. Here's the, Abraham, the um, Abraham's covenant. And it's a covenant for Israel out of you a great nation will be made. And as we go through the rest of this, and it really goes through um, to chapter 35, where it's talking about all of Abraham and his whole influence that he has. And the promise continues to unfold. She doesn't get pregnant that day, by the way. If you've read your scripture, you know that. The promise continues to be there until it is fulfilled. So go before you see that land. Go before you have the descendants. Go where I have asked you to go, not ask you, told you. It's imperative. I'm telling you, this is what you're going to do. In a way that says, I can do no other. I can do no other. So he gives these 
five imperatives. These are gifts. They are for the well-being of the person. They are security. They are prosperity. And they are prominence. See, oftentimes we think, boy, if we don't settle here and build our big tower, we're never going to be um, taken care of. We're, we're, we're going to be uh, vulnerable. We're going to be all these things. And God is saying, I'm going to take care of you. So go where I want you to go, and I will be with you, and I will make this happen. So he makes these promises, none of which they've seen, by the way. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm sure Abraham's thinking, have you met my wife? <laughs> like, help me out on this one. Um, but he said this. And he's, the commissioning of Abraham is to live for and among, for, with, and among others. Let's look back at this for a second. Um, I will bless those who bless you, and, you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That means you're in relationship with people. So you're going to be with them and for others while you're going on this journey. This is not just a vacuum where I'm going to keep you again in that little place. It's just you and me. No, you're going to have an effect. My covenant with you is going to affect the whole creation, the whole world. And, um, and the blessing is given for all people. And I have just some references down there. You could look at that from Genesis 18, 18. Um, 22, 18, 26, 4. The blessing is for all people. And then I'm just going to turn really quickly and read for you. I can grab some Galatians. Mm. Galatians 3. This is a wonderfully big Bible. It was my mother's. And so I like to use it. Um, Galatians 3, 8. One of the things in COVID is we no longer lick our fingers to our lips. It really slows me down. I don't know about you, but there we go. Okay. Galatians 3.8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. Old Testament promise. Fulfillment we see in the new. That's awesome. And so you can look back at those other Genesis. All the people, all the people, all the people. They're going to be blessed by you. And you're going to be there with them and for others also. And Abraham, God stands alone in this call. We haven't heard a peep from Abram, right? God stands alone in this call. This is what I'm doing. He initiates the call and the blessing. And I think too much we think, oh, I need to do this. You know, God will bless me if I do that. That's not a great motivation to do it. How many of you picked, um, some of you are from the UK. If you had a choice, you may have still picked the UK. But you didn't pick where you were born, am I right? You didn't say, this is where I'd like to be born in America. Where I'd like to be born in a free nation. But I think most of us would say, I'm blessed because I get to be in this nation. There are others who are free that are excellent too. We didn't do anything. It's just a, it's just a blessing. And so God does this. We reflect especially on the, the call that Abram and Sarah, now what is she? She's either in the view of the day, being punished or a curse, the metaphor for hopelessness is barrenness. That is the lowest of the low. That is the lowly. 
And God's call tends to be, as it was with Jesus, to those who are marginalized, to those who really don't have a lot to offer, who can't pretend to buy their way into something or have the power or the influence. God comes to them, the lowly, the insignificant. Luke chapter 1, and again, you can look at it in your group, 46 through 55, the Magnificat, where Mary said, who am I, a lowly servant, that you would pick me? And yet out of those who are forgotten, you have called a Messiah. Is that not awesome? I mean, being from Nazareth is like being from Blythe, Needles. Hopefully none of you are from there. You know, it's, just, it's a desert town. It's not really beautiful. Um, it's an old place. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not New York City. It's a, it's a no, it's out of, because sometimes I think we are best used by God when the only thing that we have to offer is God. And God changes and transforms us, makes us who he desires us to be. And Abram, who has a barren wife, good choice there, Abram, uh, who has a barren wife, is given this blessing before he can see it. Now, I would probably want to negotiate it this time. You know, okay, like, you have this great piece of land for me <laughs> out along the Colorado River. Well, close to it. It's only 50 miles from there, which is the desert desert. But you're going to want to see that land, right? You want to see that. You want to see what's going on. But here's Abraham. Verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He took with him Lot. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and he took his wife Sarah and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons with whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. So here you have Abram who collects what he has and takes off. He just obeys. He just hears what God has and trusts. That is faith. Faith, remember we did this, and I quoted that wonderful person of that. Um, hope is hearing the melody, and faith is dancing to the music before you, you're there. Um, faith is dancing to the melody before you hear it. <laughs> it's kind of a believing in that. And so he goes. Um, the journey um, is both physical and spiritual, because he has to trust God, but he physically is moving. And that where they show they go is that he moves about, he's kind of starting in the north and he's moving down towards the south, um, but he's moving. It's not where God said, we're going to settle you here, build this big city, again, different from Babel, <laughs> which was not God's plan. But God is a God who's always moving. Even when they stop in a place, God is always moving. God is a God who takes us on a journey. Now, Abram is, Abraham is a sojourner, which is different than a nomad. Okay, nomads are the kinds that, you know, not only no moss, no dust, nothing grows under their feet. They're always moving, but they're never, ever settled. To sojourn is to go for a time to a place until you settle. It's on a journey. And, um, and that journey, you may settle in one place and then you may journey on, sojourn to another place. So he's a sojourner and God is leading him as he's going. And he's taking his wife and 
and those that were with him, and they come to um, the land of Canaan. Now, before we get through there, the New Testament also calls us to follow. I have lots of scripture down here, um, and it's a contrast with the self, um, with a life of self-security. I'll just turn to one again for you. You can look at the rest when you're there, and this is from Matthew 9. Um, 9. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, which means Matthew had lots of money, and he said to him, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me. God is saying, I'm going to take you. Follow me. And Jesus, time and again, again, that rich young ruler, give away that which is keeping you from giving your whole heart to the Lord. Follow me. Follow me. So you can look at some of those other scriptures in there. And it's in contrast to, again, the self-security that Babel was trying to create. Um, Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. I'm not going to um, take you through all that, but look at that. It talks about Sarah and Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless him. He made a promise to Sarah, and it came true. He made a promise to um, Isaac. It came true. True. The promises that God gives come true. Trust me. Follow me. Go where I, go where I lead you and where I send you. And uh, so you have this language. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Canaan. Now, remember, Canaan is those who do not believe. That's what Canaan means. So he settles um, in the land, verse 6. And at the time, uh, the Canaanites were in the land. This is when he went from, passed through the land to the place of Shechem to the Oak of Moray. Now, you can find Shechem. You can find um, these different areas. Moray is a little more difficult to find, but at the time, Canaanites were in the land. Oh, goody. <laughs> so you have the, the, um, the heathens. We might call them, I would call them the heathens. But they're in the land. The Canaanites are those that they, later on, remember when we looked last week, Canaanites were told about because they, they become the adversaries those that they often are in conflict with. What did God say? You're going to go and you're going to live with, for, and among others. Trust me. So he goes and he settles. And again, Israel's reading this and they go, Canaanites, okay, boys with them, but we know who they really become. But here you go. God sends him to a place that there is no threat or harm from the Canaanites when Abraham goes there. There's like a shield about Abraham in this passage. It does reflect the call to be among other peoples. And I always make a joke. There was a, a Christian artist years ago. I can't even remember his name. Very edgy, almost punk. Um, but he had a song about we drink milk only from a Christian cow. Well, I just like to hang out with my Christian friends. You know, if we really want the world not to know Jesus, just hunker in. Just don't be among the people. And yet God puts us in the very, very midst. Uh, and, we need, and we need to know them too. We need to know their stories and who they are. And we need to be the best neighbor we could be. I have to give Rick credit. Um, Rick is now fully retired. But he's the busiest person I know. He just gets up and if he's not helping somebody, he's in some project. But he mostly is known in the neighborhood as the ambassador and mayor of Bird Rock and in the street we live on. And he is because he, uh, he's there for people. 
And um, he's done weddings and he's done memorial service. He's ordained in the Congregational Church a thousand years ago. But anyway, he, he has that um, just in who he is. And they know he's a Christian. But he doesn't beat them over the head. Well, he may some, but <laughs> with it. But, um, but mostly he's present. That's a good word for us. And so Abraham's engaged. He's there. Um, he's among the other people, but he has his group. And so this is what Abraham does. If we look now, he gets there. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So look it over to your offspring. Okay. Remember, we have, I have Sarah, and she's barren, and that's hopelessness. And he actually didn't say that. God said, I'm going to give it to your offspring. Abraham looks at it. What does he do? He builds an altar, which is both something that they did in all, um, in all religions. You know, it was, it was cultic in some religions, but he makes this altar uh, to the Lord. Uh, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then from there, he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. So he's like, okay, he's been moving. He's going to move again, just so you know this. So he pitches his tent for a while in Bethel, the west, and there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked what? The name of the Lord. Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Abraham. Yahweh. I mean, invoking the name of the Lord. Remember with Noah, when he built the altar for the Lord and it changed God's heart and it pleased God? Here's Abraham. He's offering to God. There's a sense of worship that he brings. So Abraham builds this altar. He's calling on the Lord. He makes a declaration in calling the name of the Lord to say, I trust you, which again in Babel, you have to trust me. The unity that I want in the scattering of the nations is the unity you have in me, God said. Abraham gets it. I'm going to call in the name of the Lord. I am making my allegiance to this God who has made these promises. I don't even see them. It's a lot of land out there, but I don't even have descendants to put them out. I'm trusting I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. So he puts that in there. And Acts 4.12, you can look at that. Call upon the name of the Lord, the one that you put your trust in. Here's, here's the end thing. There is an inclusion with God's call to Abraham. All the people of the world are going to be blessed through you, be blessed by you. Name of the Lord, one God. So I've shared this story before. It's a good story. When, when Corinna went off to college and she was a volleyball player, thanks be to God, she had a little scholarship, and we took her up to school. And before we're getting there, and I have edgy kids, not a nice euphemism for wild. Okay, so um, so we're taking her up there, and Rick goes, uh, Corinna, remember the cross when you're there and the way in which you react with people. The arms of Jesus on that cross welcomes everyone. Inclusive. Don't start telling me who God wants in and out 
arms are so wide. But the body of Christ is pointing to the exclusivity that we have. One God. Call upon the name of God. It is the one God. The God who calls unity and diversity. The God who is inclusive of all that he would call to himself. But he calls them to be in relationship. For I have created you, I have redeemed you, and I will be with you. I have a plan for you. A plan for good. Okay.